You're listening to the Passion Daily Podcast. This week, we're thrilled to bring you a powerful conversation between Pastor Louis Giglio and legendary college football coach Mark Ray, where they discuss fatherhood, mentorship, and the moment that changed a young man's life forever. I want to uh, just talk about football for a minute because um, I was spent a good, a good chunk of life with uh, another SEC team in the West. And, um, I wonder what school that is. And we, um, we had a moment. We didn't have a lot of success against Georgia during all those years I was there, but we had a moment, the prayer at Jordan-Hare. I, I still, I'm not going to say it publicly, but I did tell you privately. Could have been a, an intervention moment. I don't know, but it's the end of a game. We're behind. You guys are ranked like 20-something. Auburn was ranked, I think, in the top 10, and we needed to win this game. This was our... Uh, national championship run season. We went all the way to Pasadena. But the, this play, Nick Marshall throws this ball. It goes through two of your guys. Oh, yeah. Somehow crazily ends up in Ricardo Lewis's hands. He doesn't even know where the ball is. He runs it in for a touchdown. I'm standing like from here to there to the play, and I'm like praying out loud in Jesus' name. I'm not taking credit for the play. I'm just saying I was like unbelievable. But then you guys turned around. I think it was Aaron Murray, if I'm not mistaken. And you drove the ball like all the way down the field, had a play at the end of the game. Yeah. You had a chance. Had a chance. The game had like, the team had such heart. And that's one of the things about Georgia teams to me is that they had, they had this never say die spirit. Right. Um, and I know that, I don't know how all that spiritual stuff works because Catherine was on the other sideline during yeah. that game oh, yeah. as she was at every game. And she's probably over there praying also. Yeah, she's the water girl. She, uh, and, uh, how, tell us about that. How did Catherine Richt become the person uh, running the Gatorade station right. on the Powerade. sideline? Powerade, you can't say Gatorade. <laughs> we, would not, we would not serve Gatorade, I'm, I'm just telling you right now. So. Hello. Anyway. Well, Maybe she, you should have served Gatorade <laughs> a couple more times. <laughs> well, she, uh, she, she'd go, she would travel with the team. And way back in the beginning... All the coaches' wives didn't get to travel on the, on the team plane. We might have a couple at a time or whatever it was. So there'd be times that she would be kind of by herself. And uh, they, she'd get invited to the AD's box or the president's box. But even that's uncomfortable if things aren't going well and the head coach's wife's there and, and they want to gripe and moan or whatever it is. So she's like, where can I go where I'm not in the middle of everything? So she just saw uh, one pregame, everybody getting ready with the water. And she's like, you know what, I could do that and just kind of be anonymous and have a ball cap on and no one will even know I'm there. And, it, and for a, year, a few years, no one did know she was there until our team chaplain blabbed it to ESPN and kind of ruined the incognito stuff. But uh, she just had always served the players that I coached. In the beginning, it was just QB, so she could make cookies and do, have dinner and all that kind of stuff. Then it became the offensive coordinator, which got bigger. Then you come to the head coach, he's like, how can I plug in and, and serve these guys too? And so it was just a good, good combination of being in a spot where she was more comfortable uh, serving and loving the team. You went to Miami, so you went back home to Miami after uh, leaving Georgia. You became the coach of the year, your second season there, I want to say 2017. Right. So you're on, on the up. But then after the 2018 season or somewhere very soon after that, you're like, I'm done. Right. 
How did you know you were done? Right. How did you make that decision? Yeah, well, it's the toughest decision you can ever make. Uh, when you get fired, it's easy to handle in a lot of ways, because, especially with your staff, because we got fired and we got to go find jobs. Okay, we all get it. But if a coach, if a receiver coach retires from coaching, you get another receiver coach. The head coach retires from coaching, everybody has to go find work again. Expects a new coach to come in and hire his people and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, to make that kind of decision is uh, heart wrenching, to say the least. But I had reached a level of fatigue, and when you coach, you're always tired. You're just, you know, you know what it's like being tired, right? But you get up and you go, you get up and you go, and you keep grinding, and you don't cry a bit because you signed up for it, you know. But I, I was experiencing a fatigue factor that was different than anything I experienced. And I was like, something, if I keep going, something bad's going to happen to me. And quite frankly, I could try to fake it for a while and have them fire me and pay me a couple, 20 million bucks or whatever it was they would owe me. Or I could say, you know, am I really the best man for Miami right now? And I, and I wasn't. And it's hard to admit, but it was true. And so I, I told the AD, I said, I hate to say it, but something's going on with my health. I can feel it. And uh, I just, I do, I'm, I'm afraid might happen if I keep going and I think I've got to, I've got to stop and so I, we made the announcement it was kind of awkward because it was at a time when the kids were away uh, for Christmas break and uh, so the, the announcement was made during that time frame by the time they got back on campus they hired the new coach so I never really got to say goodbye to those guys in person that was probably my biggest regret of how it went but uh, and that's why I stopped because of that extreme fatigue that I was feeling. Turns out you were uh, you were right. Yes. There were some things going on. Right. And a year later, right. got pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, October 21st, 2019, got up in the morning, got my workout in. Catherine and I are walking to the gym and getting, getting a little weightlifting still. And on the very last set of my weightlifting routine, uh, I caught... I just couldn't catch my breath and uh, so I was just trying to catch my breath and I was trying to go quick with my reps and get my heart rate up but it was I, I couldn't uh, I just couldn't breathe very well and then I started getting nauseous thinking like, oh I took these vitamins Catherine makes me take you know and my, I did it on an empty stomach so I was getting nauseous I couldn't breathe I said honey I gotta go in the boys room so I go in there and, and there's one stall in there and thankfully it was open I was able to and not to get too graphic, but uh, so a little while after me being in there, somebody knocks on the door. They, they got to use it, right? So I'm like, being the nice guy I am, I walk out, sit on the bench in the locker room, and I'm just starting to pour sweat, continue to be nauseous, and really couldn't catch my breath. So I laid back on the bench, and I yelled out, I said, help. And uh, by that time, the guy was in and out, and it was crickets. There's no one in there. And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm having a heart attack. And I got to walk these 50 steps through the sauna and steam room and, and, uh, and make it to where the people are. I may die right here on this bench. So I get to the weight room. I call out for help. I get on a knee, get on my rear end, lay on my back just to feel the coolness of the, of the tile. And they came in and said, Do we, should we call the ambulance? Yes. They eventually come. So I'm thinking, hallelujah, they're going to help me breathe, and they, they could do nothing to help me make it to the hospital, which by the grace of God was a 
mile away. Wow. Um, got in there, still couldn't breathe. I'm thinking they're going to give me something to put me out and heal me. Well, my blood pressure went so low, I had to stay conscious during the thing. And they kept the EMTs in there in case I coded, which is code for dying. Uh, you know, they had the little jolt thing ready to go just in case I needed it through the operation. And so while I'm laying there on the table with my eyes closed, but I'm conscious, like even right now, you, these bright lights, you know they're there even though your eyelids are closed. So I'm laying there. It's very similar to how I'm seeing it now. And there's a voice right here saying, what are you feeling? Well, my left arm went numb. I can't breathe. And a little bit later, what are you feeling? My right arm went numb. Then my right leg. And then my head and my ears started going numb. And then finally she said, uh, she said, you know, what are you feeling now? And that's when I was talking about my head getting numb and, and I still couldn't breathe, still gasping for air. And then a moment later, it was as if it, my eyes just went Everything went numb uh, and everything went dark. So I'm thinking, this is it. So in the moment of truth, so to speak, when I knew I was about to die, I had this overwhelming sense of peace and excitement that I was going to go. I, mean, I remember saying in my spirit, here I come, Jesus, wow. and being fired up. You know, so that decision in 1986 was real. I never doubted it, but it was real. And then, so I'm not saying it was an out-of-body experience, but as my spirit is experiencing that, I can still hear my body gasping for air. So, you know, your body, God makes your body where it wants to fight to live. But in my spirit, I was ready to go. And I came out of that thing, you know, and then finally the voice said, wake up. Okay, and so I wake up. I didn't know if it was Jesus or Satan. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I was, I was thankful of the experience to know that when I came that close to death, I had that much peace. And, just, and, then, and then you come out of there and you're like, I'm even, I mean, I love talking about Christ, period. But now even more of a greater sense of urgency to do it because you don't know how long you have. So you better write a book, right? <laughs> Thanks again for listening to the Passion Daily Podcast. And don't forget to go and subscribe to the Passion City Church and Passion City Church DC podcasts for our full messages every week.